the Eighth Circuit Network. We make things. Put them in your brain. Hello, funky listeners, and welcome to another episode of Funk Radio. This is your host, Kyle. And this is your host, Peter. We've been wanna... gone forever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For your... Blah, blah, blah. For those... <laughs> Unless you're listening to these episodes years in the future where you can't tell the difference. We have not done an episode of Funk Radio in over a month, maybe a month and a half by now. It's been been a long time because usually, I mean, at our best, we've been doing them like twice a week. So this has been a pretty big gap. Yeah, I think just there was a lot of people's birthdays and a lot of weekends that one of us was gone on a trip or something or working or whatever. So life got in the way. But we are back to provide the funk. Did anything big happen during this last month? Plane crash. The plane thing going down. Uh, Uh, Oh, the plane that went missing. Yeah, the boat that sank in South Korea. Ukraine is still effed up as ever. Um, That's about it. Oh, that that kid stabbed all those kids in that school in Pennsylvania. That's terrible. A lot of happy news. Uh, Are there any lately. happy things that happen? I don't think the news. I think the news feeds on sadness. I don't hear any yeah. happy. St- the only time I hear happy stories anymore is when you hear like those oh new scientific breakthroughs. Yeah. But that's pretty much the only source of happiness in news anymore. Other than that, it's just like so and so died today. Pretty soon. News stations are gonna just have like a kill meter of like every day. This is how many people died. <laughs> God, it's terrible. Yeah. Well, I took that vacation last week. Yeah, to Albuquerque. Albuquerque. Please, please Santa share with us your drug-fueled uh, adventures. No, it wasn't really drug-fueled. Yeah, I took a week off work and decided just to get out of town for a while, somewhere different. So I went to Albuquerque, New Mexico, and that was pretty cool. It was my first experience traveling by myself, and uh, it was interesting. I was going to ask you, because, like, I forgot to ask you before you left, mm. I was reading that there was, like, some... some uh, I guess, tension in Albuquerque because of recent riots between people and police. Did you see oh, any really? remnants no, of that? No, I never heard about that. Yeah, I don't know what it was about necessarily, but I heard that like the state sent in more police to Albuquerque to like kind of effect not so much a curfew, but like a stronger police presence to deter people from rioting, I suppose. I don't know hmm. what the deal was. What were they rioting writing about, you know? I don't know. Lack of los pollos hermanos. Uh, <laughs> Did you Which actually, I did. yeah, I was going to say, did you I did go? go. <laughs> yeah, um, my train arrived on Saturday at around noon, and then I was like, I'm hungry, so I'm going to go to <laughs> Los Pollos Hermanos, so I took the bus. The actual, it's act, the, the restaurant they used in the show, if, if you don't know what I'm talking about, it's Breaking Bad, a restaurant they use in the show is called Los Pollos Hermanos, that's all you need to know. Yeah. The restaurant itself is actually part of a chain called Twister's. And so the only place where the actual, like, Los Pollos Hermanos logo is on the inside, they have it, like, painted on a wall. Oh. Um, but they do have a bunch of posters inside that say, yes, Breaking Bad was filmed at Twister's. In the show, they, well, it was fried chicken, right? Yeah. Okay, because I wanted to get, I wanted to like get that. It was, like, Mexican fried chicken, like a Yeah, I wanted, I wanted to get that at the restaurant, but they didn't have it. They just had, they had a whole, they had a huge menu with, um, like, American food and some Mexican food. I ended up getting like a grilled chicken sandwich because that was the closest thing. <laughs> but the food was really good. I would, I mean, if it were local, I would go there all the time. Uh, so that's good. But 
the funny thing was that um, the guy in front of me in line asked the cashier where Walt sat, like when they filmed it. <laughs> and then she pointed to, to like the corner booth, which I guess is... Did he like rub his cheeks on it? Well, no, he went and sat there and ate there and took some pictures with it with a fancy camera. And uh, I did take a picture of that booth. I kind of had to try to get him not in the picture. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was kind of cool. Hey, sir, can I take your picture? <laughs> Even though you're not Walter White. <laughs> and then the guy's like, you should tread lightly. <laughs> um, that's really that awesome. Cool. You didn't go on that tour you talked about where you go around to the different no. sets? I think it was just more than I wanted to pay for it. And yeah. I think it fills up really quick, too. I'm like, eh. Unless, like, Walter White himself magically shows up on the tour, then, I, yeah, that seemed <laughs> a little pricey. Yeah. Um, would that you, was cool, overall. I, I guess the ultimate question, would you live there? Albuquerque, no. I would not live there. Um, I mean, I guess it's my perception is kind of skewed because I was I took the bus the whole time around and there were a lot of really sketch people. I mean, New Mexico is like one of the poorest states. Really? Yeah. Huh. So, because they don't really have any huge industry. To- industry or like tourism that brings in a lot of money. I mean, they have a few small things, but nothing that big. So, yeah, they're actually one of the poor. Um, well, that's depressing. States. The capital, Santa Fe, which is like an hour and a half north. I thought that was a lot nicer, actually. I only went there for a day, but I enjoyed it a lot more. But, uh, I mean, I would consider living there, maybe. Uh, not Albuquerque, though. It's kind of sketch. So it's, it's, a bit, <laughs> it's a bit smaller than they made it out in the show? The city? Yeah. Uh, Kind of. I think it's really spread out. Well, I think everything um, in Mexico is spread out. It's mostly a desert. Yeah, I guess so. It was cool, though. I enjoyed going. I can take it. Um, I thought you... you went somewhere too, but maybe not. Uh, no, I'm going to Vegas no. this weekend. Yeah. But that's about it. I didn't go anywhere fancy. Okay. Um, but yeah, so too bad. Unfortunately, our episode is not Breaking Bad themed again. Um, <laughs> it is uh, a theme of covers of funk songs by non-funk artists, which we thought Yay. was a nice change up because we always talk about funk and. Even though this is still sort of funk, we wanted to talk about other genres that kind of cover funk bands out of respect for them. So Yeah. Oh, fun funk fact. Dang it, I lost it. I had a fun funk fact. No, it's not a funk fact. Was it a funk fun fact? No, it wasn't a I'm sorry, it wasn't a funk fact. It was a music fact. Uh, I guess Nirvana got inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame this year. Yay. Interesting. Uh, It was their first year of eligibility because you have to have been around for 20 years. Oh, yeah or 20 years since your first album or something like that. And this was their first year of eligibility and they won the vote. So that's pretty impressive. Nice. I'm kind of glad that they have that rule where you have to be around for 20 years. Or have, yeah, have, because yeah, otherwise, you know, you'd get like little Wayne or whatever in and stupid crap like that. Yeah. Even though I hope no one cares about him 20 years from now. (laughs) Speaking of people that got inducted, I mean, I guess it's rock and roll. I don't, I can't imagine a lot of funk bands probably did. Probably Parliament. We should have they did, up. yeah. Parliament, or or maybe Funkadelic. Rock though. and roll hall of shits. Dang it! I actually <laughs> typed that. <laughs> I don't want to know if that's a real thing. <laughs> I really don't. <laughs> oh dear. Ah, uh, come on, Google's. Oh my god. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna yeah, like I'm gonna guess that Funkadelic. Is in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but yeah. I, mean, I, don't, I guess it depends on whether they 
I guess they considered Parliament and Funkadelic the same group. Here we go, the inductees. The inductees uh, by year. Oh, they have a list of all of the inductees. Yeah, on rockhole.com. It only goes back to 2000. Oh, God. It goes back to 86. Ooh, Isaac Hayes was inducted in 2002. Good for him. Uh, anyways, yeah, I'm going to stop that. Um, mm-hmm. Well, you listeners can go research that for yourselves. At rockhall.com. Mm. So, speaking of <laughs> rock and roll people, I don't know if they were inducted, but if they weren't, they should be. Uh, the first song we wanted to talk about is the cover of Cameo's <laughs> Word Up by Korn. For those of you that don't know, Korn is sort of a... Canned vegetable, sometimes on a cob. Peter, get out. Okay. <laughs> uh, Korn is a new metal band. Uh, new is not as in they are new. New as in a rebirth of metal in the early 2000s. Mm. Uh, Late 90s, early 2000s. And they were known for their incredibly deep bass, crunchy riff things. Because <laughs> their guitarist basically tuned his guitar so super low that, like, I think he hit the brown note. Um, I was really into them in high school. Dude. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, I just have to stop you for a second. We should do a five-minute funk on the brown about, note? about the theory of the brown note. I think we have to do that. <laughs> I think we do, too. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, Korn is a metal band uh, that rose to fame in the mid early to mid-2000s. This particular song was released as a first track to their 2004 retrospective album, Greatest Hits. Okay, I'm going off a tangent here with Greatest Hits. What is with bands releasing Greatest Hits of themselves, like, <laughs> while they're still famous? I really hate that. It's like, your Greatest Hits should only be released, like, after, like same thing with the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. You have 20 years. Mm. You should only have a Greatest Hits, like, every 10 years or something. You can't have, like, two albums and then, oh, Greatest Hits time. Yeah, I noticed some... I hate that. Groups will do that. It's I hate it. It's, it finds, I find it really annoying for some reason. Or they'll have over the course, especially ones that groups have been long for a long, been around for a long time. The that they'll have multiple greatest hits type albums, and most of them are just slight changes in the same playlist of songs. It's I don't know why they. I guess they just re-release such so people buy it. I don't know because money. Yeah, uh, but this this album. I guess Greatest Hits Volume 1 which means there's more of them uh, was released uh, this song was released as that album's first single in July of 2004 and it received every airplay on uh, alternative radio stations uh, here's a question yes sorry to interrupt um, so it was released on Greatest Hits Volume 1 but was it ever released before that? no I think this was just kind of added because well I have to get into that part Peter you're skipping around man I'm sorry Kyle it was released on this album. I don't think it was ever released before as any sort of single or on any other albums. It was released just as like a here's a little song we recorded. Um, mm-hmm. The I guess the meaning behind the song is it's one of the songs that they would use to warm up at concerts. And they would like often play mm-hmm. this as their first song or whatever during a set just mm-hmm. to tune their instruments and get them in, you know, performing mode. Right. Um, and the... Jonathan Davis of the band, who's the lead singer, actually is quoted as saying, 
we've been doing Word Up for years as a sound check song, not the full version, just messing around with the riff. Hmm. So, yeah, like I was saying, they basically do it as a sound check thing to get their instruments all in line, and they figured, heck, we play this thing so much, let's record it. Interesting. Which, honestly, I think as we go down the list, you'll find that's probably a lot of these songs. Hmm. Is the songs okay. that they play that they like that they just play is for sound check reasons because they're fun to play. Right. And they can't play their own song for a sound check because it would sound crappy. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm just I'm just thinking because I cannot think of the specific example, but I know at least once before I've heard of a band a band having a greatest hits album and at least one of the songs on there being one that they never released before that. So it's kind of ironic because I think, they're greatest hits, but then no one's ever heard it before. I think some, I think some do that to get people to buy the album because, like, it's not only zero is all of our best songs. Here's one song you haven't heard before yeah. that we think is worthy of the greatest hits album. Maybe yeah. it's just a marketing thing. I don't. I guess it I goes back too to much money credence again. in it. It's all money, man. It's all money. Here at Funk Radio, it's not all about money. It's especially because we don't get paid. <laughs> especially because we don't have any. <laughs> Why can't I have no kids in three money? <laughs> so yeah, that's basically the long history of the word up covered by corn. Um, we should probably listen to a little clip of it so you guys know what the hell I'm talking about. Um, so yeah, here is word up by corn, originally performed by Cameo, but this time by corn. Thank you for clarifying. <laughs> That was Word Up by Korn, and uh, I just want to say that if you have not heard uh, the original version of Word Up by Cameo, I think we would both recommend that. It's a pretty good classic funk-type song. I have it It's kind of the... Go ahead. I was going to say, I have it on vinyl. That's cool. Kind of the cool thing about um, Cameo, especially this song, is it's kind of the rap before rap was a real thing, a transitional period of music. Didn't we discuss that in a prior episode about how... Yeah, I think we did. Their pseudo monologues during these songs in like the early 80s was kind of like the birth not the birth but like kind of the popularization of that sort of like rap spoken word motif right because they would do it in these sort of dance songs like this cameo and zap and uh Mm -hmm. people like that yeah so needless to say cameo were from the i think 80s early 80s 80s onwards so Mm -hmm. good stuff for sure what do we got up next mr prado well, Mr. Peter, coming up next, we have a song called Love Roller Coaster. Um, this is performed by the Red Hot Chili Peppers, but it was originally done by the Ohio Players. If you listen to our show regularly, we actually talked about Love Roller Coaster once before in a five-minute funk because there's a urban myth to it where some recording of a woman's scream that was kind of in the background during the song people started wondering if like they murdered some lady while they were recording oh, yeah, this song. I, I don't that. know. It's, I mean, it's a roller coaster theme. Obviously, there's going to be people screaming. But... Mm-hmm. Funny uh, <laughs> funny little thing about the Ohio players, because remember I watched that, um, that VH1 documentary on the birth of funk, oh, and yeah. I told you about it. Well, yeah. while they were going along, they had some of the members of the Ohio players as like, interviewees, mm-hmm. and they talked about how on every album they made... They had a 
uh, an attractive woman on the album. It basically became sort of their theme. Mm. And they joked that every time they would have a new album, they would try and hurry up and finish the album because they wanted to see, you know, what, what attractive model they would get to shoot uh, for, their al- for their album cover every time. That's funny. Which I thought was pretty funny. That that was their that was their motive. Their motivation to finish the album. That was their motivation for finishing the album. That's funny. I mean, I've noticed that before on their album covers. I didn't think about that being integral. And yeah, there. I mean, I didn't think about it either. Then I thought about them like, wait, every album I have of theirs has a hot woman on it. Yeah. So it all makes sense. Um, they I don't they didn't go into that specific urban legend in that thing. It was just funny that they mentioned that like every one of our albums has hot hot girls on it, and we mm-hmm. like, we always tried to well, finish them. Doesn't hurt record sales, I guess. Yeah, true that. Sex sells. So yeah, yeah just a little, that's just a little aside. Yeah, well, the song "Love Roller Coaster" uh, came from their album "Honey," which, uh, just referencing, I think the photo of, of from that album is some woman pouring honey on her body or something. Mm-hmm. So, kind of interesting. The Ohio Players actually originally did this song in 1975. And the lyrics of this song use a roller coaster as a sort of metaphor for the ups and downs of romantic relationships. So, pretty cool. Um, The Red Hot Chili Peppers released their funk rock cover of the song 21 years later, in 1996. Kind of interesting. It was recorded during their sessions for the 1991 album Blood Sugar Sex Magic, uh, five years prior. But it was not actually recorded. It was, sorry, it was not released on that album uh, for whatever reason. And it didn't get released at all until it was released on the soundtrack for Beavis and Butthead to America, which was in 96. So I guess it was featured in that movie at least once or twice. So that's how it got released. That's an interesting claim to fame. Did, yeah. you, ever, did you ever watch Beavis and Butthead? A little bit, yeah. yeah. I didn't see the movie. Neither did I. Hmm. I think that was just like slightly before my time. Like if I was born only like two years late earlier, I probably would have been into hmm. it. Yeah. But... Yeah. Right, yeah. Anyway, so I guess that's where the song originally came from. This song actually managed to peak at number 40 on the Hot 100 chart and number 22 on the mainstream top 40. So it got a little bit of popularity from that, but, I mean, it wasn't, like, number one or anything. But, I mean, I think at the time, the Ohio Ohio players were fairly popular, and they had a lot of pretty popular songs. So something I thought was interesting is that they actually never performed this song live. Really? Yeah. So it's kind of the opposite of um, the corn thing. Yeah. We're pretty much the only. Whereas they pretty much played it every time. That's interesting. Yeah. So I mean, that's cool, I guess. Is there a reason for that? Is it like so overproduced that I can't really do it live? Or I didn't see a reason for it. I just saw that that was a fact. I don't know why. I mean, something I'm kind of wondering with some of these bands is that they they'll have a song that they get from, like, say, a funk band. And obviously they put their own genre spin on it, so it's going to be more rock or metal, whatever have you. But I sometimes I wonder if they tend not to play these songs live just because at the end of the day it's not really their original song. But also maybe their fans like their original songs more than their covers. Probably. Whatever. I mean, that's just a guess. I have no idea. Uh, I, I think this is a pretty good rendition of uh, the song, and I guess you t- can <laughs> you can judge for yourselves as we listen to a short clip of "Love Roller Coaster" by the Red Hot Chili Peppers. <laughs>
So that was Love Roller Coaster by the Red Hot Chili Peppers, and we were just going to remind you that that was originally by the Ohio Players in 1975. Yay. That's pretty cool. Yeah, pretty good. I mean, I... I don't think I ended up hearing this on the Beavers and Butthead movie, but I heard this somewhere early 2000s, and even then I was like, ooh, I dig this, yay. <laughs> but yeah, speaking of Chili Peppers, best segue ever, the next <laughs> song we have up is Higher Ground, originally performed by Stevie Wonder, and performed, again, by the Red Hot Chili Peppers. They like their funk, but I think yeah, they, yeah. as a band, I think they draw from that genre a lot with what they do. Mm, yeah. So I can see them probably playing some funky songs in their downtime when they're not putting socks on their cocks um yes that happened look it up <laughs> uh, I, yeah i know that happened <laughs> no i was more to our audience but yeah. yeah so yeah red hot chip ever released a cover of this particular song as a single the first single in fact from their fourth studio album mother's milk uh their version actually earned an mtv video award nomination because hey. it's a good vi- music video you should go watch it this particular song was actually featured in many films, including Passenger 57, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers the Movie, which is awesome, uh, Center Stage, <laughs> Walking Tall, which is that movie where The Rock just goes around and hit it, hits everyone with a 2 by 4 I'm not mm. kidding. Uh, the Longest Yard, which was that awful, awful movie made by Adam Sandler. Awful. Just made my eyes burn. <laughs> made my eyes rain. Uh, the Karate Kid, the 2010 version with... Uh, Willow, not Willow Smith, what's the what's the boy's name? Jaden Smith. Hmm. With Jaden Smith and Jackie Chan. And The Change-Up, which I don't know what that is. Uh, that sounds familiar. Probably it. some stupid movie where people switch bodies. Like, I think it was one of those rom-coms that makes no money. Although it does make money. But How many rom-coms have there been about people that switch bodies, though? Freaky Friday, Parent Trap. Well, that wasn't really switching bodies, but whatever. It's like a thing. I don't get it. Yeah. Um... Anyways, so this this song, this version of Higher Ground, has been played uh, actually also in a season one episode of Fresh Prince of Bel Air, which immediately makes it awesome because <laughs> that show was awesome. Yeah, I really <laughs> wish that show would go on Netflix. You know how like popular that would be. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. That's um, didn't what's his face? <laughs> didn't what's his face from the show just pass away too? Uncle. Uh, Freddy the dad or... guy? Yeah. The uncle? Whatever? Oh. He died? Yeah. Oh, that's sad. I know. I was sad. Yeah, he, he, I guess his uncle or whatever, like the dad in the show, but... Uh, James Avery, he was Uncle Phil on the show. Oh, uh, yeah. He died? Uh, yeah, he passed away at 68. That's a shame. Not that old. I mean, mm. in today's sta- by today's standards. Mm. Uh, yeah, I just remember it was all over Facebook, and I'm like, oh, Uncle Phil... Um, because, you know, I don't know, it's just, when you, when people are immortalized in TV shows like that, even if the TV show was 20 years ago, you don't think about them getting older than, than dying. Yeah, you just see them as that age. Yeah, you constantly <laughs> see them, like, immortalized in that age. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so this, this song was in a lot of stuff, yay. This was also used as, I guess, the part of a Year of a Million Dreams celebration at Space Mountain at Disneyland. Uh, in Anaheim, California, where they used this song as its soundtrack for 16 weeks in from January mm. to April in 2007. Pretty um, sure I would go insane. <laughs> uh, yeah, I remember, I remember when they... Oh, wait, Year of a Million Dreams, that was different. Because I remember they did another thing with Space Mountain in 09, maybe. 
It was like Rock and Space Mountain or something. I don't remember what it was, but they played. I think there was Red Hot Chili Peppers. I can take it. And it was there was like flashing well, lights and stuff. Pretty much every song they write, to some extent, is about California, so I can understand them probably using their songs. That's a good point. Um, I don't remember them using Higher Ground. I guess that was for this other thing. But yeah, that's like the perfect song for a roller coaster because it's high. <laughs> anyway, so Higher Ground by the Red Hot Chili Peppers. I think we should probably listen to a clip. What do you think? That's a pretty good. Up next is a song called Can't Hurry Love, which was originally by um, the Motown girl group, the Supremes. Thank you, Kyle. But the version we're going to talk about is by Phil Collins. The song was originally written and produced by the Motown production team, Holland Dozier Holland, for the Supremes in 1966. Uh, The sketchy R&B hit was a commercial success that topped several charts worldwide. That's one of my more favorite songs by them. It's pretty good. For sure. And uh, 16 years later, 1982, the song became a hit again when English pop rock singer Phil Collins recorded his rendition of the song. This was included on his second solo album, Hello, I Must Be Going. Um, If you didn't know, prior to his solo career, um, Collins actually garnered fame as a lead vocalist for the band Genesis from 1975 to 1981. And he's kind of responsible for putting them on On the the map. map popularity wise because they did exist before that and I think they had a different singer yeah uh, they had another they had another famous singer in fact uh, to the Wikipedia because I think I want to say Collins was actually originally brought on as the drummer or something but then I guess after that other singer left he filled in and then okay here we go I knew uh, Phil Collins uh, was vocal and drums who joined in 1970 former Mm. members before that was Peter Gabriel oh yeah who was vocals and flute so both Phil Collins and Peter Gabriel were birthed out of that band. That's crazy. It's pretty impressive. Yeah, because as soon as you said that, I'm like, wait, there was someone else that was famous that came out of that. I know they had a lot of pretty big hits during the years that he was the main singer. And then in 1981, he left to pursue his solo career. And the year after that, he released a song. Is this the same album that has uh, In the Air Tonight or No? No idea. Because remember, that was like his big song, and then I got sang by Mike Tyson in that movie, and... <laughs> yeah. Pop culture references. So, in 2011, uh, kind of interesting, Phil Collins announced that he was retiring from music to focus on his family life, but then he later indicated that he's still writing songs and considering a return to music. And then just within the last few months this year, in 2014, I guess it was revealed that he's collaborating on a new album with Adele. So, it's interesting, I guess. Is she going to set fire to his reign? I guess so. (laughs) Uh, We'll find out. Oh yeah, another fun fact I found is that this song, his rendition of it, was actually the very first song on the very first compilation CD of Now That's What I Call Music. Oh god. I mean, now you see infomercials for Now That's What I Call Music 55. He's dead to me. You know, I mean... <laughs> I hate that whole thing. That's been, been around for a long time. But I guess it's funny that this is the first song. But I, very what I wonder, movies. in this digital age, do people still buy that thing? Because they always would sell it on, like, those terrible infomercials. Yeah. 
Okay, I wait. don't know. Do I mean, re- do they still make new ones? I think they do. Yes. Do you remember Kids Bop? I do. I saw, I just happened to be, like, because my little cousin was watching television, and they had a Kids Bop commercial, and it was like, Kids Bop, like, 5,378. <laughs> and I kid you not... You know that little Wayne song where it's like, turn down for what? And he's like, burp, 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 burp. I'm little yeah. Wayne. They had a Kids Bop version. <laughs> and I'm just like, oh my god, no. You know what we should do? We should get some kids together, get them in a recording studio, and start a funk album pop. series called Kids Funk. Ba- baby Funk. Baby, baby Funk. And then they sing child renditions and of then and then the last funny. song in the album is we are the world we are the children exactly i can dig it that sounds awesome and hopefully we'll forever bury kids bop because i hate kids bop well while you think about that you can hear something else that's awesome that's can't Hurry love by phil collins right now Love by Phil Collins, originally done by the Supremes. Um, we hope you didn't hurry love for that last song. Yeah, tell us which version you liked better on our comments and Facebook and <laughs> yeah. stuff. Yes. Just just call us and tell us. We have a hotline. No, we don't. One eight hundred Funk Radio. <laughs> that would be all. That would be awesome if that actually fit in the seven digits. Funk, be funk you. Funk Erder. Erder. <laughs> RDR. What's coming up next, Mr. Kyle? Um, up next we got um, Smooth Criminal by The Alien Ant Farm, which the song Smooth Criminal was originally done by uh, Sir Michael Jackson. He is not actually knighted, but I just thought he deserved that title. <laughs> um, in 2001, the band... You need, Alien... to get, you need to get over it, Kyle. He's dead. Uh, in 2001, Alien Ant Farm released a co- cover of... Smooth Criminal as their debut single from their album Anthology. Heh, <laughs> cuz Ant. <laughs> um, according to the band members, they would actually play a few riffs of the Jackson song while warming up before gigs, and audience members would request them to play the entire thing. Hmm. This positive feedback encouraged them to record their own rendition of Smooth Criminal and include it on Anthology. So that's actually very similar to the Welcome first song. Welcome to Movie Phone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's exactly. It's very it's similar to the whole uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers thing, where they would use it as a warm up song, and people you mean dug corn. it. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, it was similar to Corn, where they would use it as a warm up song, and people dug it so much that they just ended up recording the whole thing. Uh, yeah, I remember well, this. Cool. This song was always on K Rock, like early high school, early to mid high school. Mm, yeah. So I guess gained popularity. It became a number one hit uh, on the Billboard's Modern Rock Tracks, which I didn't even know that was a category, uh, Mm. and was also a number one in Australia. Yay. The song was featured in the 2001 film American Pie 2 uh, during a scene in which Jason Biggs' character, Jim, superglues his hand to his crotch. (laughs) America. (laughs) Zappity-slappity-doo. America. (laughs) 
I want every, like, stupid college comedy, like, after that, a funny skit to just end in, like, like, one of those old 1920s terrible comedy films. Yeah. Like, Abbott and Costello or something. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Awesome, awesome filmic, filmic genius there. Mm. Uh, the album that this came off of, Greatest Hits, damn it, <laughs> uh, includes a hidden track named Slick Thief, which is in fact an early version of Smooth Criminal. So, okay, so they recorded the song on the album in 1999 called Greatest Hits, and then two years later, they made an album called Anthology, which is just <laughs> a fancy word for Greatest Hits. See, I told you. What the hell? Times. What the hell not? God, it's so dumb. Yeah. I hate it. I hate it. Um, fun fact about Alien Ant Farm, this is just hearsay. Uh, one of my coworkers <laughs> in the early 2000s used to be in a pseudo-famous uh, like metal band called 20 Dead Flower Children. And they actually mm. toured with Alien Ant Farm, among other people, because I mentioned this to him, like, one day, I'm like, hey, do you like these guys? And he went on this tirade, basically saying, Alien Ant Farm, he called it, uh, cock rock or something, because he's like, they were just a bunch of phonies, and they always got on our ner- nerves, because they basically, like, you know, were just, like, ridiculous, and didn't take the genre they were in seriously, they were basically just, like, a joke band. Huh. And so he found them very annoying. That's an interesting perspective. Yeah, like I said, just hearsay, that's, yeah. that's a thing I heard from a coworker who happened to be in a metal band around the same time. Huh. Yeah, he toured with them, they, he toured with, what's that band that I, that's, I hate so hard, uh, Insane Clown Posse. <laughs> uh, hmm. so, fun stuff, they've, they toured with Korn, I mean, not briefly, but, hmm. you know that whole early, early 2000s metal revival thing, you know, yeah. it was all popular. New now metal. it turned into dubstep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's that. Um, just hearsay, not trying to sully the band, just what he said, and I thought it was interesting. So that's that. Um, I don't think we can really like redeem our on <laughs> this show. Touché. We say a lot of terrible if, things. I was gonna say, I'm pretty sure we could like be sued for libel on like five thousand different occasions every yeah. year. If anyone actually listened to us, that. <laughs> We're lawyers. Well, not not only making bad jokes, but also saying half these people are dead when they aren't. <laughs> <laughs> like, someone's going to sue us for defamation because we said they were dead. <laughs> Deadfamation. <laughs> Should we listen to a clip of Smooth Criminal? Yeah, sure. This is a clip of Smooth Criminal by Alien Ant. by Alien Ant Farm, originally performed by Michael Jackson. <laughs> I don't know why your voice sounded like that. Uh, coming up next is a song called The Rubber Band Man by Electric Six, originally done by The Spinners, and that was one of their more famous songs. Uh, that single was actually re- recorded by The Spinners in 1976, and later included on their album Happiness Being With The Spinners. Uh, it spent three weeks at number two in the Billboard Hot 100, and topped the US R&B chart at the end of 90s, er, at the end of 1976. So this one was actually pretty popular, 
the original, obviously. It's kind of funny because I mean, the, while this was released in there, that like on the later end of their heyday, because I mean, this is already starting to get into mid seventies. Um, yeah, like I said, it was con- considered one of their most successful hits, one of the more well-known ones. So pretty cool. Um, so if you don't know who Electric Six is, they're a six-piece rock band um, who are pretty contemporary. Um, and they released a cover version of this song on their 2010 album called Zodiac. Um, prior to the album's release, uh, the lead singer Dirk Valentine announced that the band was recording a cover song that they had been contemplating for a long time. And then this later ended up being uh, revealed as the rubber band man. Kind of curious whether, because I know like that's a song, I remember reading that that was a song that they wanted to cover for a long time. Um, which kind of shows that they have some inspiration roots in kind of the soul funk of the 70s, which isn't really any like anything that they play, but I guess it's interesting that that's their, some of their inspiration. I, I kind of wonder if when they announced that, that anybody of their fan base even knew what that song was. Probably not. Yeah, kind of interesting. So Electric Six is known for their brand of rock music, which is infused with elements of, quote, Garage, disco, punk rock, new wave, and metal, unquote. So that's a lot of different things all together in one. And um, they're also most prominently known for their 2003 singles, Danger, High Voltage, and Gay Bar. Wasn't Gay Bar one of the songs we would play on Rock Band a lot? It was, yeah. That was fun. (laughs) It's a funny song. Um, Fun fact, which I thought was kind of impressive. Since 2003 which at this point of the recording is 10, 10, 10, 11 years ago. Between now and then, they've released 10 albums. So that's basically one album per year. That's impressive. Um, Which is really impressive, considering some bands release an album every three or four years. So (laughs) Daft Punk. (laughs) So, yeah. I mean, they're very active, which is kind of cool. Yeah, no, that is actually pretty impressive. I mean, I don't know if they're just, like, the type A type, or if their songs are just, like, super easy to come, like, come to them super easy. Yeah. Uh, but they got some good stuff. Yeah. Uh, That's cool. Yeah, yeah. But should we listen to a clip of Rubber Band Man? Yeah, we should listen to a clip of <laughs> I guess you just said it, yeah. Okay. This is Rubber Band Man by Electric Six, originally done by the Spinners. Yeah. Welcome to Movie Phone. Your movie is playing at 10 p.m. And with, with further with further times at 11:30, 12:15, and 1:20 a.m. That was the Rubber Band Man by Electric Six. Pretty much, kind of a rock punk metal slash whatever type of song the spinners version from 76 is much more of like a smooth r&b type thing so that was pretty good pretty good i can take it both versions are pretty good as i tell said. us which one you like on uh on our media's uh, our social things we'll get to that in a little bit but first we have one more song we want to talk about today on our funk radio thing I like that we just juxtapose between, like, like basically, like, movie phone monotone to, like, there got the, the things out there. 
Uh, yeah, up next, uh, our final song of the evening is Hard to Handle <laughs> uh, is Hard to Handle by the Black Crows, um, originally performed by King Floyd. I'm gonna do stuff because I forgot to research things. Hold on. Well, you have some stuff written here. I don't have enough! Uh, I don't have enough of for you, those, Yes. For those of you that don't know, King Floyd is a New Orleans soul singer and songwriter, best known for his uh, top ten hit from 1970, Groove Me. Um, oh, yeah. Yes, he did Groove Me, he did this song, he did... things. That's all there is on it, this guy? That's so sad. Was he a one-hit wonder? No, I mean, he, um, he had like two decent albums, but... Oh, he did the song, I Feel Like Dynamite. I feel mm. like dynamite, y'all. Anyways, um, so yeah, that's King Floyd. Uh, the Black Crows version is probably easily the most notable cover. Um, and it was their breakout hit single from their 1990 debut album, Shake Your Moneymaker. Which, Shake Your Moneymaker, is also a cover of, uh, I want to say, one of the blues dudes. I don't remember, blues guy. Um, the Black Crows, uh, for those of you that don't know, are an American rock band formed in 1989. The discography includes nine studio albums, four live albums, and several charting singles. The I bet was... they have some greatest hits compilations as well. Sadly, they probably do. <laughs> they have uh, five of those albums are actually greatest hits. Um, <laughs> no, I, I, I honestly don't know. Hmm. Um, the band was signed to Deaf American Recordings in 1989 by That's producer... That's D-E-F, not D-E-A-F, by the way. Yeah. Deaf Recordings kind of sounds like a bit of an oxymoron, doesn't it? It does, yes. Um, uh, they were, yeah, they were produced by Mr. Producer George Dracaulius. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, and they released their debut album, Shake Your Moneymaker, as we said before, the following year. Uh, the follow-up album, The Southern Harmony and Musical Companion, released... Yeah. Uh, reached the top of the Billboard 200 in 1992. How do you... What? What? How do you... No, I'm just... How do you reach the top of the Billboard 200? That means it was the top of the top... So is that, does that mean songs. it's number one? Yes. In Billboard 200? Yes. But it's not on the Billboard Hot 100? Or the top 40? I don't know! So is number one on 200 different from the number one on 100? I think we need to research this. I honestly don't know. I mean, I didn't even know they had a category for, like, new hard rock or whatever that was for Alien Ant Farm. Huh. Uh, Billboard's weird. weird. Well, something else, too, is that the lists that they keep, but also the names of them have changed a lot over time. Because I think, like, back in the day, they had, like, the Black Singles chart, for example, but obviously now... That's gonna, racist. They're not going to... Have I think it eventually evolved into R and B and then they've turned into hip hop something or other. Um, but I mean, back in the day, that was it was called that and they used it for soul and stuff like that. So obviously that that's changed a lot. I think that's why we keep seeing all these different names because I mean, yeah, they have a lot of lists, but they also have different names for them. So I guess fun fact about this song is actually two versions of it exist: the original album version and the hit single remixed with an overdubbed brass section. Hmm. The Crows version. Uh, reached number one on the Billboard Album Rock Tracks chart. See, Billboard See, sucks. we were just talking about this. Billboard's confusing. Uh, they just make up charts now just to make people feel good. <laughs> you want, you're want you at the top of the people located in Akron, Ohio chart. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Ohio have fun, matters. Have fun, kids. <laughs> Sorry to our listeners in Ohio. Um, <laughs> we just offend everybody. Pretty much. We're equal opportunity offenders. Um, <laughs> and it actually reached number 26 on the Billboard Hot 100. Hmm. I don't... See, well, I, I'm just wondering, maybe Billboard 200 is like the 200 think, top songs below the 100. No, I think Billboard 200 is like the 200 top songs, like, of all time since since they're recording, where the uh, Billboard Hot maybe. 100 is the top 100 songs that are, like, current. There may be something to that, yeah. Like, they're, oh, they're hot right now because they're, you know, new releases in the right. last year or two. Interesting. But the top 200 is, like, you know, since their inception. Right. Uh, so, like, you know, they can probably reach both, the top of both, presumably, uh, or they can reach the top of the 200, but not the 100, for some mm. reason. Actually, I'm, I'm just going to search it now, because I'm curious. Okay. A Billboard 200. Um, it says, The Billboard 200 is a ranking of the 200 highest-selling music albums and EPs in the United States. Okay. Interesting. So, it's not, it's not actually for singles. That one's for albums. And it's basically, it just keeps a record of the 200 highest selling albums. So I was kind of right, except for it was albums instead of. Yeah, pretty much. Actually, yeah, you were you were pretty much spot on with that. Yay, I, I knew something. That's rare. Um, so yeah, yay, Black Crows, woo. I like them. They did that song, Long December, uh, which was like the quintessential 90s song. I think they played that crap on like Dawson's Creek. Oh, you know what? I'm really sorry. I'm going to interrupt you and go back to that really quick. Um, I made a slight mistake. Because I read half of the sentence. <laughs> oh, I got everything wrong. <laughs> well, it's okay. It says the ranking of the 200 highest selling music albums in the U.S. published weekly. So it is frequently used to convey the popularity of an artist or groups of art. So basically, at any given time, every week, they publish... For any given week, they publish the 200 highest selling albums. So, for that week, this album sold the most, for example. Oh. So, it's not of all time, it's perfect. Damn it! Okay. So, um, alright, well now we know. Yeah. Um, uh, well, I mean, they do have, just really quick, I mean, they do they do have list of albums that were in, like, the number one or the top ten for multiple weeks. So, for example, like, the Rolling Stones... We're within the top ten for thirty-six different weeks. Wow. Um, Go ahead. I, d- I just made a f- I just made a factual error earlier. The the Black Crows did not do Long December. That was the Counting Crows. Oh. <laughs> the Oops. Black Crows did. Um, they actually did a lot of covers. Um, hmm. They did the famous song uh, "She Talks to Angels." Mm, okay. Uh, which, if you you probably heard it, you'd know it if you heard it. Uh, apparently, hard to handle. Funny misconception that I completely screwed up in this entire thing. It was <laughs> not even originally done by King Floyd. It oh. was done by Otis Redding. Really? Yes. Oh wait a minute. It sounds familiar, actually. That you say that. So King Floyd was a cover as well. Got it. Okay. So, technically. I could have just said, oh, this is a King Floyd cover, but King Floyd is in the same genre as Otis Redding, so that wouldn't have worked for this particular episode. Okay. Uh, but yeah, just clear all the numerous factual errors that I have made. We're our own fact-checkers. 
Well, I, I prefer to call them functional errors. I like it. Uh, it makes us sound less stupid. No, it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, that pretty much wraps up our episode on non-funk artists that covered funk songs. Once we take a listen to Hard to Handle. <laughs> no! I've already spoken my piece, Peter. We can't do it now. Oh, man. <laughs> okay. Uh, so yeah, here is Hard to Handle by the... <laughs> Shut up! <laughs> You're ruining the moment. Here is Hard to Handle by the Black Crows. Not counting crows. <laughs> <laughs> That was hard to handle by the Black Crows, not the Counting Crows. Early on, covered by King Floyd, but originally done by Otis Redding. Yay! Yay. That was our episode on non-funk covers of funk songs. Um, obviously, multiple times in the past we've talked about covers. Um, even contemporary covers of classic funk songs, but even then, the contemporary stuff was kind of funk, funk and R&B and that kind of thing. Pretty much. Um, but yeah, kind of taking a step in a different direction genre-wise for a bit. Pretty cool. For sure. Um, so yeah, hopefully we're back in the swing of the funk things. <laughs> Didn't screw up too much. Um, one thing before we go. Yes. You know how sometimes we have Kyle's angry tech corner? At yeah. the end. <laughs> Peter, we're going to have Peter's Angry Tech Corner? Well, no, I'm going to present to you something I read earlier a few hours ago, and then you can be angry about it. Oh, okay. For whatever reason. Um, I was reading that a lot of the biggest <clears throat> companies uh, like Google, not Apple, uh, like I think Facebook might have been one of them, Samsung definitely, um, a lot of these big companies are kind of formed, I guess they formed two years ago, but they've been kind of quiet about it. Um starting an initiative to develop technology that does away completely with passwords as we know them. I think that's smart. Yeah. Because... Why would I be angry about that? Well, because <laughs> usually you get angry about something. So. People are stupid with their passwords. and I, Most people's passwords are like 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. Yeah. If there can be some way for us to develop a more like intuitive password program that's harder to hack. Right. I actually read, I don't know if this was the same article or just something separate that happens to be the same thing. I was reading that like tech scientists or whomever believe that we can actually create passwords out of the way that we touch our devices because even if you're given an exact same UI layout, no one touches the different buttons of that layout the exact same way in mm. the exact same place and in the exact same like time span like some people may wait a half a second before they touch that uh. button or like three quarters of a second right. and this disparity between people is unique enough is unique enough that if someone were Weird. to steal your device the device could detect a different a differentiation in the pattern of the touching and whatnot, and determine that that device is not being operated by its owner, and actually, huh. like, shut off. Or yeah, I didn't read that have, at like, all. a wipe function. I mean, to me, the caveat with that is if, if you're the user of that phone or device, I mean, you, at any time, every time you do it, isn't exactly the same either. Right. So, how does it 
I would assume yeah. it would like it would like over time it would develop like a a database of like you know this is your you know average touches per second or right. this is where you're most likely to touch this button yeah because math right um but and based on that you know people that are left-handed probably touch the device different than people that are white right-handed or right yeah certain things like that well the the article i was reading is that they're basically developing the technology is develop, developing there's one that's already been around for a couple of years is like the, the the fingerprint oh yeah thing um, they're developing. Well, if I understand it correctly, basically what they're doing is that if you log into your phone with your fingerprint, like a, or a thumbprint, mm-hmm. that basically everything on the phone is unlocked. Like for uh, they they cited um, like PayPal as a good example, because PayPal is one of the companies that's working on this. So Yay, you'll it. automatically already yeah, have access to everything without having to log into everything individually. And trying to remember passwords for everything. Oh, that's cool. So yeah, I have so I have so many different passwords. Right. And well, I think sorry to interrupt. I think a ahead. lot of this came out from that whole Heartbleed. Like, yeah, thing. I mean they've been doing it for a couple of years, but this is a that's a recent example. Uh, the Heartbleed thing with all the you know the password theft. It's like you know obviously this is this, and they were talking about how pa- the I the concept of the password as we know it was originally used for when computers were literally run by like two or three people and they took up the size of entire rooms. Yeah. And they were not meant to be used (laughs) in this setting really. And that's why they're so easy to hack. Um, But they, I guess they're saying that now using stuff like thumbprints, um, uh, retinal scanners as well, really the only way, I mean, theoretically you may be able to replicate that. um, But it's kind of a, two-step process because you need to have the thumbprint or the eye scan but also you need the device itself which is linked to that and to have both at the same time would be really hard i just imagine a lot of people cutting off people's thumbs when they steal their phones now strange i thought the same thing (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah no you're exactly right in fact like the way this is kind of funny the way a lot of hackers hack passwords even like wpa type you know security passwords Mm -hmm is, I mean, aside from breaking the databases that record those passwords, a lot of it is, like, kind of just this brute force thing where they develop an algorithm that, you know, types in a bunch of different numbers and letters, and they just set that algorithm for hours on end until they get the right thing. Right. You know, if, if your password, is, you're, only, you're only allowed 12 spaces, you know, there's 26 numbers. You'll just numbers. try every combination, yeah. Yeah, there's 26 numbers and 10 letters to a space. That takes a lot of time, but considering how fast computers work, right. they could crack it and 12, 24 hours, and they just let it go. Mm. So it's not like, oh, they're geniuses, and they know exactly what you thought when you put in the password of, you know, your puppy's favorite chew toy in the year you're, <laughs> like, the year you, like, had your first baby. I don't know. Yeah. It's not that they're that smart. They just have these brute force algorithms that do it for them. Yeah. So, and I mean, I, I just thought it was, go, oh, you can finish, sorry. I was just going to say, and that's why passwords are so archaic nowadays, is yeah. that something like that can easily crack them. And... Uh, so, I mean, it just got me thinking that, you know, it's kind of funny that, like, when we are our parents' age, passwords as we know them actually could be a thing of the past. Like, I remember passwords. <laughs> they pass on in existence. <laughs> That's funny. One last point mm-hmm. that I was thinking of as you were talking is that I went, I was in a museum in Albuquerque, and they had one, of, they had an exhibit about uh, kind of the, the early years of the development of the the computer, 
or uh, I guess the personal computer. And I didn't know this, but I guess um, Steve Jobs, not Steve Jobs, sorry, um, Bill Gates Gates. and the other guy whose name escapes me, who founded Microsoft. um, I didn't know this, but for the first many years of Microsoft, they were located in Albuquerque. Really? Yeah, so a lot of that original technology actually happened there. And I had no idea that. But then they moved, um, I guess they were both from this, that's one city in Washington, which also is Seattle. No, it's somewhere near there, yeah. But I guess they were both from there, and then they ended up just moving back there, moving the company with them. And that's why it is there now. Um, but I never knew that. I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, that's cool. I actually watched that Steve Jobs movie with Ashton Kutcher because it was on Netflix. Oh, yeah. yeah. I saw they added it. It was okay. It wasn't good. But it wasn't like, you know, just kissing Steve Jobs' deceased butt. Like, oh, he's so amazing. Mm. They, I mean, they... They definitely made him look like, you know, yeah, he's incredibly smart and, like, terribly genius when it comes to design and knowing what people want, but he was also a gigantic dick. <laughs> um, well, I'm glad days. they showed that, too, because I was hoping they weren't going to just have it be a praise. Yeah, basically, down. he was a designer with this, like, militaristic mindset about design, and anyone that, you know, wasn't on board with him, he just fired them or <laughs> pushed them out of the way. It's one way to success, I guess. And, oh, and when Microsoft came out with, like, because they came out with Lisa in the 80s, and Microsoft came out with, like, Microsoft Bob, or I don't know, mm-hmm. some system in the 80s that, like, was not, I mean, obviously Apple would say a ripoff of Apple's Lisa OS, and there's a scene in the movie where his character is, like, completely destroyed, like, ripping apart Bill Gates, like he calls him. <laughs> And says he's he said he's like I will sue you so that every dollar you make from now until your death or no he said there won't be a dollar you make from now until your death that I don't get ninety cents. Oh my god! <laughs> I'm like <"Shit."> wow, <laughs> that's harsh. Yeah, so he was kind of a little ruthless. Yeah. Actually, um, you were just mentioning like releases of o- or early OSs. Mm-hmm. That reminds me, there was actually a, a minor point in that exhibit about. Um, like the first icon GUIs for OSs, and then there was a thing that was saying that a lot of the like the people who developed the computers, like Bill Gates and them, mm-hmm. um, originally thought that people who had to use an operating system that was image based. I mean, like we know that we take them for granted now, mm-hmm. rather than code based. They thought that they were amateurs and they didn't really, they weren't like true computer users. Because they weren't like typing in the code and stuff. There's, I mean, now, I mean, there's like supercomputer nerds that still think that. Yeah, but I mean, it's just funny because I mean, now it's just assumed that it's that way, and that's the. Yeah, the I mean, like a computer that doesn't require vast knowledge of coding language to operate. <laughs> It'll never catch on. Noobs. Yeah, that's, that's where that word came from, probably. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, it's it kind of makes sense to a degree, but that's what, and I think that's maybe what set Steve Jobs apart initially was the fact that he saw the need for the computer to be something that's completely usable for everyone in the world, not yeah. just, you know, not just a specialty device for pe- only, you know, people that learn how to use it. It's like people shouldn't intuitively know how to use a computer. Right. Which, you know, that was pretty innovative for 1970, like late 1970s. Yeah. I'll give him credit for that, but fun fact is that they, they, I guess, in the latter half of the film, when he comes back to Apple in the 90s, after they're basically almost insolvent, mm. they show 
to, uh, Johnny, uh, Johnny Ive. He's uh, the designer of the new Apple OS that people either love or hate. Mm-hmm. And they show him as one of the few designers left in the design d- department of Apple. And everyone knows Apple made some really crappy, ugly things in the 90s. <laughs> need, I, need I say the Apple Newton? Mm-hmm. Um, and Johnny, uh, yeah, Johnny Ive um, basically was one of the few groundbreaking designers that was like, when Steve Jobs came back, he kept him on because he's like, you know, he believed, he is one of the few people that stuck around based on the original ideals of Steve, deals of Steve Jobs of computers should be not only functional, but also a, an extension of the human spirit and right. be pretty and have a sense of appeal to them. And Johnny I've actually designed those silly, colorful Mac uh, computers that came out in the late 90s that came in all those different colors. I remember that, yeah. Which I thought were actually really cool looking. Like, that blew my mind as a kid. I was like, I've never yeah. seen a computer that looks like this. Um, and it's just kind of cool that he that you saw the fact that he had a hand in that. And then mm-hmm. obviously he went on to help design the iPhone and the iPod and all that junk. Interesting. So yeah, I mean, it was, a, it was an okay movie. I wouldn't give it like, you know five stars but it's on netflix so it's worth a watch i suppose it's a little bit heavy-handed and it's like the steve jobs is amazing and a genius but expect <laughs> it's a biopic um so yeah that's that that's kyle and peter's tech corner yeah and it wasn't yeah. that angry i guess no more just explanative no. <laughs> <laughs> i guess so, yeah, we should wrap um, this up no i think we should so yeah that was our episode um sorry oh, to have been gone stuff. so long we got tied up in a little thing called life and we're happy to be back and we hope to be a little bit more more consistent with our episodes (laughs) uh we'll try to at least i think we should try to if we can get a good get on a good roll here i think we might be able to get to our 100th episode without any major gaps again yeah hopefully for sure we'll see um so yeah uh as always follow us on facebook at get your funk facebook.com slash getyourfunk and be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes uh, and rate us and like us and all that stuff so we get more visibility Yeah. Uh, on iTunes we're just Funk Radio we're the highest listed we're the highest listed podcast named Funk, funk. Radio I'm, yeah. <laughs> we're, we're the first thing that comes up when you type in Funk Radio Woo. this is worth something I guess <laughs> great success <laughs> uh, so yeah. yeah this has been your host Kyle and this has been your host Peter I'm um, sad to be here now I know. Um, so yeah, goodbye. Have a good weekend if you're listening to this. Over the weekend? weekend? Even if you're not, you can have a good weekday. Shut up. <laughs> I'm thinking it's Friday because I have off tomorrow. Yeah. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. For more podcasts and the latest news in gaming, movies, and entertainment, visit 8thCircuit.com.